0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. This week
2: on Meet and 3, we celebrate good news in the food world, from record-setting butter sculptures to the latest discoveries in crop cultivation. I think it was back in 2015. It was 2,370 pounds, and it was a Paris landscape. And so that became the Guinness World Record butter sculpture.
3: We don't understand everything about the world. So plant breeding also lets us work with all the unknown, maybe discovered along the way.
2: And we hear from the beloved chef and disaster relief organizer, Jose Andres.
3: Well, World Central Kitchen, we're an organization that we like to be the first ones on the ground. And more often than not, we are the last ones on the ground.
2: Tune in to Meetin 3, Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world. About a million listens a month. And today, tonight, on October 15th, 2019, at 6.15 PM Eastern Standard Time, I hope they are all tuning in to this episode of Tech Bites. This is episode 89. Bites is a weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology, and today we have something very fun. We have Chloe Vichot joining us, and she is co-founder and head of food innovation of a company called Fresh Bowl. And it sounds like a salad company, and it kind of is. But most importantly, it is a salad in reusable jars company that sells the salad in the reusable jars in vending machines. This is very fun. It's almost Japanese. I want to thank Chloe for coming out this evening. Thanks for having me. This is her second time on Heritage Radio. She was on Radio Cherry Bomb before, I think about two years ago, maybe.
4: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: So she's an old pro and really she's back for the pizza, which we'll have later. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big draw. If you want to be a guest on Tech Bites, a lot of people are coming for pizza. And 6.15 is just about dinner time. So before we get into the story of the Fresh Bowl salad vending machines, we will go around talking about apps like we always do. Something new. Something you just downloaded in the middle of the night. Something that's been living on your home screen forever and ever. First up, we have the voice in the booth mission control we have Matt, our engineer and Heritage Radio studio manager. How are you tonight, Matt?
3: I'm fantastic. Yeah? Uh, how are you?
2: I'm pretty good. I, I have pizza on the way and a, and a very interesting guest in the seat, so I'm doing pretty good.
3: So you, you think it's going to be a good one?
2: I think it's going to be a good one, and if it's not a good one, we still have pizza, so it'll still be <laughs> all right.
3: Yeah, and then we just have the big delete button, you
2: know? <laughs> edit, edit. Just beep, never happened. beep, beep we could just like morse code on the beep thing and people just think it was very profane and perhaps intellectual.
3: <laughs> yeah, if you beep enough of a percentage out.
2: Right, it'll be the redacted episode.
3: That's exciting. They'll think you interviewed some government official.
2: Maybe we should do that as a as a humorous episode maybe for April Fools next year. Or yeah, like or if a guest
3: cancels, you know.
2: <laughs> but we digress. Do you have an app for us? And before the show Matt was scrolling through his his home screen on his phone and I was it's worth noting to
3: have no apps. He anymore. said I like, have no apps and I'm apps like, Matt,
2: there. you have like four pages, you have like four filled screens of apps.
3: I like that Android doesn't give you pages, so I don't know exactly how many pages there well, are. Well, it kept
2: scrolling and scrolling. It's
3: an infinite scroll of apps. All right, do you do the thing, Jen, where you're on the subway and you peek over other people's shoulder and you see, like, what are they doing on that phone right now? Yes. And oftentimes they're playing games. Mostly. Yeah. So sometimes I pay attention to what those games are, and I've recently gone down the rabbit hole. uh There's a certain game maker who is responsible for a decent percentage of those games that I've been seeing people play. Okay. The one that I found them through was this game where you slide down a water slide and you, like, bump other people off and you jump for long distances and you try and make it to the end before anybody else. That game is boring and bad. It's called Aquapark.io. Okay. But the, the game maker is called Voodoo, and I've tried several of them, and one of them is actually good. It's called Paper.io, and it's very anxiety-producing.
2: What is? What do you do with the paper?
3: I mean, all of these games are of the type where. Is this like a
2: recycling hoarder game? What is it? <laughs> no. Is it balls of paper? Is it paper avalanche? Is it?
3: It's actually I don't. Fahrenheit four fifty nine. Is it, called, is like, it paper paint? on fire? Called paint. Uh, but anyway, you have like a little. You have a little widget that you're controlling. And when you circumnavigate or circumambulate an area, that area becomes yours, right? And so you, like, draw out boundaries. So it's like a
2: cartography game?
3: Um, Yeah, it is. Is that why it's
2: called Paper? I don't know
3: why it's called Paper. And we should invite them on the show just to ask, hey, guys, why is this called Paper? And then interview's over.
2: We could do a game show. Do we know where they're based? I don't. I wonder where they are. Maybe we can research that. Uh, Voodoo is the name of the company?
3: Voodoo is the name of the company. Okay. Anyway, so, you know, if you want to waste a sh- just a ton of time, paper.io.
2: Okay, paper.io. It reminds me that I haven't played the Japanese cat game in a long time. That was my favorite game. Natsuko. What, hap- what do Netsuko? you do the cats? You just collect them. That's you fine. collect stray cats, and there are different scenes, and then you acquire points, and then you you put down food and toys for the cats that then attracts more cats.
3: You, so you have like a horde of cats that are of around? Of stray cats
2: in different scenes. So you have like traditional Japanese house, which is very beautiful and serene. You have more modern house. You have outdoor house, patio. You collect regular food and then things like donuts and then different kinds of cats show up. And then there are some very, very special like Chef Cat and Shogun Cat and Joe DiMaggio Cat.
3: Do you think, think real-life cat ladies play the cat game when they have to leave their cat lady homes?
2: I don't think they um, have the time to be on a phone and downloading anything, and they're probably only making very short trips for the cats and the toys. So I'm going to say no.
3: It's a great time to be a cat lady because you can just Amazon the cat food and you never have to leave.
2: It. yes. Okay. I hear, I hear pizza. Excellent. Yay for pizza. So Chloe, do you have an yes. app that you love? Yes.
4: So uh, as I was telling you early this morning, at around uh, 2 a.m. when I was breastfeeding my son, I, um, I remembered that I wanted to re-upload, I guess, Food for All. Um, so it's an app that helps... Um, restaurant sell their about to go bad food instead of throwing it away people can buy it at a discounted price so if you're a student or if you live on a budget and it's close to closing hour of restaurant you can download the app and then see what food is available in your area and it's usually 50, 60 or 70% off compared to the regular price mm-hmm. because people are actually very happy to give away uh the food rather than throwing it away. So the matter is not how much money they're making out of it. It's really more making sure that they're not disposing um, the food. So I I find this very uh, exciting. And um, I have met with the the founding team multiple times at my restaurant, but we didn't have a lot of food waste, so we were never really able to work with them uh, back in the day at Angoli. That's an interesting
2: idea. That would be an interesting guest for a show. If they're based in New York. Absolutely. So, for example, I was in a coffee shop uh, maybe two weeks ago on a Saturday night. It was maybe around 10 o'clock and all of the pastries were 40% off because I'm assuming it's getting close to close and they want to get rid of them. So then that would, that coffee shop would pop up in the app saying pastries 40% off.
4: Absolutely. Interesting. So so that's exactly how it works. and And I think that... And what's the app called? Food for All. Food for All. Okay. Um, and I think that, you know, in, in my space of food and waste, um, this is something that we're really trying as restaurants and as business owners, making sure that we don't have any food waste. Uh, and at the same time that we're bringing access to people that might not be able to buy food full price. Um, and also they, they end up coming visiting restaurants that they wouldn't know about and then they might come back when it's mm-hmm. at full price because they really enjoy one particular pastry or, or dish. So I think that's pretty exciting.
2: Yeah, that is a very interesting idea and it, it helps advertise something and maybe brings people in at a different time of day. And maybe if they come in for a 40% off pastry, they'll buy a copy. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the whole concept.
4: Um, but yeah, so that that's what I re-uploaded from my cloud early this morning and I was looking at it and I I was pretty excited. So now I need to find a moment where I'm not eating out or eating at home that I would actually go and get those dishes. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, you never know. You never know. And as an entrepreneur, you were probably out in the city at at odd hours with vending machines and things like that.
4: Early this morning, for Mm. sure. Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
2: So the way this episode happened, I have to say, is a little bit of happenstance. I was getting off the subway at the Fulton Street subway station in downtown Manhattan, which is one of the big brand new uh, subway stations that has shopping mall and food and stores, and it's connected to the World Trade Center and the Oculus. So it's really nice. They have a Shake Shack and um, a bento box and a bunch of different things. It's a lot of fun. And I was coming out of the subway... And there in front of me was a vending machine called Fresh Bowl that had salads in glass jars. And it was a refrigerated machine, and you got a salad, and then it also had a space, you know, it also had a slot where you could come back and you could return the glass jar when it was empty, and you could get a refund on the jar. And I thought, this is the coolest, funnest, cleverest thing I'd seen. So I took a bunch of pictures of it. And you know, as I was walking around the city, I started looking for, you know, fresh bowls, who is it? Who's who's the owner of the company? What's this about? They should definitely this should definitely be an episode of tech bites. And then through the power of Google, I discovered that Chloe was one of the founders. And when I started looking through her, I realized that she is the also the same Chloe who owned Anacoli, which is the food and glass jar cafe on 8th Street in Manhattan, that I discovered listening to an episode of Cherry Bomb. So then this was perfect. So when I sent her an email, I said, I have a show on Heritage Radio Network, which she's very familiar with because she's already been here for the pizza and been here for the radio. So that's how the episode came about. So it was really one of those fortuitous, um, you know, universe connecting the dots kind of thing. So I'm very happy to have her. So she has this had this wonderful restaurant called Anacoli which was a neighborhood place and it was really extremely sustainable. So for you, I think that's probably the starting point for the vending machines. It was it was creating a restaurant that was a community space and serving good delicious healthy foods, but the sustainability piece was really important for you.
4: Absolutely. So my, uh, my background when I moved to New York from, from France 15 years ago was in finance, so I worked in finance for 10 years. And I was really shocked by the amount of plastic and waste that we would throw away on a daily basis by just you know grabbing your lunch, grabbing your breakfast, having a cup of coffee, and then throwing everything away in minutes after you, you actually bought it. So, so more so in the US than your job in finance in France? Right. So what happens is in France, people actually take the time or traditionally take the time to sit down and and have an hour lunch break. And same thing, if you want a coffee to go at least 15 years ago, you don't really take a coffee to go. You go to a cafe and you ask for an espresso at the counter and you drink it and then you go where you need to go. But you you are not running around with a cup of coffee with you all around the city. So so the whole to-go culture is not something And and certainly it has changed, but originally the way I grew up was not something that we really did that much. And I think that, um, yes, we have salads in plastic bowls, but when you buy the salad in the plastic bowl, it doesn't come in a plastic bag with 20 napkins. Or if you buy a sandwich, it's not going to come wrapped in aluminum foil with then paper, then again, a paper bag, a plastic bag and 20 napkins. And the moment you're going to arrive to your desk, all of this is going to go Uh, in a trash and not being used. So that's something that I was really shocked about. And a lot of little things which I thought was normal when, you know, you leave a room, you switch off the lights, you get in the building, there's a motion detector. Like in Paris, you walk in a building, there's a motion detector, then the light goes on. Or there's a button you press and it just goes on for like 30 seconds or something like this, the time it takes you to go from the entrance to your door or something. And so when I... You know, here I realized that the lights were always on twenty four seven in my building and I told the building manager like why is this happening? And they're like, Oh well people are afraid if it gets dark or things like this. So it's all those little things where I just thought what we the were difference in culture. Exactly. I thought what I was doing, what I grew up doing was normal, but then I moved here and I'm like, wow, there's such a huge difference um that I wanted to do something but I wasn't really sure how. And my dream as a little girl was to open a restaurant. That's not what I end up doing initially because my parents were both entrepreneurs and really pushed me to have a steady job with a steady income. And so that's how I I arrived to New York in finance. And when I finally got my green card, I was like, you know what? I've I've done it for 10 years. I'm ready to really follow my passion. So let's go back to culinary school, take some cooking classes, take a culinary management degree, and then open something that I really like.
2: What was it about owning a restaurant? that captivated you when you were a little girl? I think all the nice,
4: all my best memories, I guess, growing up were really around food and wine and and sharing time together, cooking, having this experience of, you know, my vacation was we would wake up and eat this huge breakfast, grabbing, you know, fresh bread from the bakery around the corner. Um, And then we would start thinking, okay, what are we doing for lunch? Let's go to the market, let's buy this and this ingredients, and then let's cook. And then once we were having lunch, we were doing the same thing. What are we doing for dinner? And the whole vacation would evolve around food and what we would be eating and what we would do. So all my fun and pleasant memories were around food. So I wanted to create this kind of community, as you were describing before, where people could come, feel comfortable, and uh, enjoy good and healthy food, which, again, um here you can you can see a lot of excess and, and, and things that are not necessarily what you would want or as simple as I would wanna eat it. So so that was the main idea. And when I opened Encoli, the the cafe was really the mission to create um a community for the neighbors where they could come and that was amazing because for three years we had there was a lot of gyms um in the area and people would just come and hang out and it was almost as if we were there office because they didn't necessarily have an office or it was their safe place where they would get out of work for a half an hour break an hour and they would hang out with us and that was really nice um and then bringing clean food to people so really you know doing a salad dressing uh as I did it growing up at home with three ingredients mustard olive oil and uh red wine vinegar and not sugar or honey or all the the crap that is added to a dressing here, you you don't even know why. Um, So it was really going back to the way I learned cooking from my mother and my grandmothers and bringing this simple food and clean food to
2: to everybody. So when you finally opened your restaurant, was it as wonderful as you thought it was going to be when you were a little girl? Did you have those moments of pleasure? Opening a restaurant is one of the most challenging, time-consuming, difficult, hard things to do. Yes, 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 yes.
4: So, I I would say the good thing is again, uh my dad has his own business and I've always seen him working day, nights, weekend, vacation. So, I was kind of expecting the non-stop working. Um so that was not something that I was surprised about in addition to what you just said being very difficult and challenging and working all the time. So first I had never worked in a kitchen. I have worked at 11 Madison, but as a front of house person. So I've, I've learned from them, okay, how do we do service at the best? And how can I make sure that I take care of my guests the best way I could? And I had this amazing opportunity to work there. So that was great. And I've seen some of the kitchen, but I've, I've never worked in a kitchen and ran a kitchen. So the first And I'm still confused with the metric system. So the first week I ordered milk and I'm like, yeah, I'll take a case of like whatever... Twelve gallons, and then all those milk arrive, and I'm like, "What am I gonna do with this? Like, this is not at all what <laughs> I was." was twice with. as much than you thought you were gonna. Or get. even like ten times. Like, I really, I had no idea what I was getting into. So it took <laughs> some uh, getting. That used when you to... started
2: making yogurt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was calling my mom, and I'm like, "What? What, what can I do? I do? Like dulce milk, de leche? Beer. What else? Like what, flan? What? <laughs> a lot of flan. A lot of flan in jars this week. Everything, everything, everything. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, but it was definitely a lot of fun. And the part that I loved was creating the community, meeting those people. People, that was amazing. The hard the part was being seven days a week on the hook, even though I, at the end, I was not going every single day at the restaurant, but every single morning around the time the restaurant was supposed to open, I would wake up, look at my phone. And at that time, my two favorite apps were uh, the nanny cam to check what was happening at the store. Um, in fact, my three favorite apps was who had clocked in and clocked out. So who was physically in the store? then checking the actual live sales of what is happening. Okay, there was a customer at this time, he bought this, there was a second customer, and what is happening? And then the last one was the nanny cam, checking, okay, how, is, how are things organized? What do the flower look like? Uh, it's raining, is there a rain carpet on the floor? All those li- Oh, it's not raining, why is the rain carpet on the floor? <laughs> uh, and why are we not removing, removing them? So, Or did the person actually show up, or did it not show up? So, you know, a lot of times not a lot of times. A few times I had to run from my home to the store and make sure the store was actually open. So that would be the most challenging, like really handling staff and making sure people would show up. I think the great thing is we really created an amazing community through the time. At the end, we had, um, except our um, delivery person who was a guy, everybody else was woman, and we really had a very close Uh, community and a lot of our customers came because they felt safe in our environment, which was very important for me. Um, But it was definitely a lot of work. And so when I met my uh, business partner, uh, Zach, on the vending machine side of the business, who uh, told me, oh, I'm I'm launching a vending machine business. I'm looking for fresh food. Would you like to be uh, my food provider? I was like, this is so exciting because initially when I designed my business plan, I thought that after a year, a year and a half, I would start going from one cafe to two to three. But then I realized the build-out cost was way too high. And then the rent was crazy. And then training the staff and having enough people serving customers the way I would want them to do was very difficult. Whereas if we transferred this idea to vending machine, we could have 50, 100 of them. And then the whole mission of being zero waste, eco-friendly made much more sense because people could buy a salad in a glass jar Midtown and then returning downtown at the Fulton subway station, for example, which would make uh, being sustainable and doing something good for the environment very simple. Which
2: so it's important to note that at Anacoli, everything came in jars.
4: Yes, everything came, I mean, except the sandwiches but uh, and, and, and a few pastries, but all the food, breakfast, salad, snacks came in glass jars. We had the same concept of return. The first year we were doing uh, $1 deposit per jar, And we were around 27% return rate. And then the second year we increased it to $2 and we jumped all of a sudden to 40%. So what I was going to say earlier is in addition to the challenge of running a restaurant when you don't know how to running and making sure working nights and days all the time, I added an extra layer of challenge that I wanted to do something that was good for the environment. A lot of people didn't care about that. So they would walk in and be like... What do you mean it's
2: a glass jar? Right, exactly. What do I do
4: with this? I want a salad in a real New York container. And I was like, well, you can take it to go. You can just bring it back or keep it. And they were like, oh, I don't want that. And even the ice drinks came in the glass jar. So if you were ordering uh, an ice latte or an ice matcha, it would come in a glass jar, which a lot of people, my staff even started saying... Uh, just so you know, it comes in a glass jar because so many times they did it, <laughs> and then people would get pissed, and they were like, "Oh no, I don't, I don't want the jar."
2: At, at the same time, buying glass jars to use for drinks and things in your lunch is also a trend. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. But and
4: in and in fact, I, I'm using the the drinks as an example because a, a few people got really upset, but I would say the majority of them were very excited because it, it was this huge jar, and they were a lot of drink for the money that they were spending. And as you were saying, that's something that they, they saw in other um, restaurants and in other places. So they were kind of used to see that pattern. They were not as shocked as eating food in a, in a glass jar.
2: So you were the perfect person for a vending machine because you were already selling a product in a portable container. Right, exactly. So that's why Zach reached out to me because he,
4: he thought, okay, that would be perfect. We could vend it. Uh, it would be very easy. Um, and I got so excited. I was like, wait, I don't only want to be your food provider. I want to get into the business with you. And let's really add an extra layer of sustainability to the machine and be able to return the jar. And that would be so cool. And there's so many things we could do about it that we started, uh, building a lot around the, the existing business model. So that's why We closed the restaurant in June of this year to really focus on a business that was really growing and that has right now a lot of potential,
2: and, and that's very exciting. So when we come back from the break, we're going to hear about the vending machines and where they're installed and how the business is growing. And if you're in New York City, where you can go and try one. We are going to take a break and find out who the sponsor is of this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We are kind of like public radio, and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 3539.
3: Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Taste and imbibe to your heart's content. And bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala.
2: Well, if you're just joining us and you just listened to that amazing promo for our 10th anniversary gala... I'm going to tell you to go right now to heritageradionetwork.org backslash gala and get your tickets to the event and use the code techbytes and get a discount for our listeners. It'll be a great, great party. And it's always nice to meet people in real life. Come out. You can meet all the hosts and all the people you've listened to over the years. It's really exciting. I will be there. I will probably be at the door checking people in. So if you come to the party, I will get to meet you. Today, we are talking with Chloe Viro, who is the co-founder of a company called Fresh Bowl. And if you want to find them online and check it out while you're listening to the episode, the website is myfreshbowl.com. You can find them on social media, at myfreshbowl on Instagram and Twitter. As I said at the top of the show, you can find them in the Fulton Street subway station so exciting. Outside the turnstile, so you don't have to swipe your card to get to the vending machine. Inside, inside. So tell us now, you made your connection with your partner who had a vending machine idea, and he was looking for someone to put food into the machine, and you came on board as a partner. It's a perfect fit. It's, tell us how it becomes something that's ecological and environmentally friendly outside of the recycling of the container. So the container
4: is the big one for sure, and educating customer around that. So that's going to be the number one thing that we do. Um, number two is, of course, making sure that we're not wasting any food. So we're really careful when we place our daily order to the kitchen of uh, how we're going to stock the machine. Um, so we take into account what the weather is going to be, what is happening in this particular location, what day of the week it is so that we're not overstocking. Um, and then same thing on the kitchen side, we're, we're making sure that we're using as much of the ingredients as possible and that we're not wasting any of that. Whatever we're not using is going to compost. Um, and whatever is coming back, uh, you know, there. sometimes people don't finish their jars so there's a few leftovers at the bottom. We, we also compost that. Um, as a team, we started doing waste-free Wednesday, So every Wednesday we try to Uh, not generate any waste. So it's been very interesting, especially...
2: What's the biggest challenge of not generating any waste? And when you say any waste, you mean all waste, like nothing. Well,
4: yes. So... It started with uh, Zach wanted to learn more about how to recycle and what to do, like how to do the right thing in front of a trash and recycling system. And we decided with Paul, our uh, technology person, our our, uh, CTO, who's also very driven by sustainability. And we said, oh, let's let's give you a challenge and on every Wednesday we'll try to be zero waste. So the biggest challenge for me is really trying to find lunch without waste. And I bought on, at the beginning of the year, this reusable metal uh, Tiffin that I would bring to restaurant and people would be like, oh no, I'm sorry, I cannot take it. And I know for a fact that they can take it, but they don't know the regulation around it. So because they're afraid and they're not sure what to do, they just tell you no. Um, so that is something that has been very difficult, especially because I used to have lunch at my restaurant. So on a daily basis, it was, you know, I would either have a glass jar that I would pop in my bag if I was running around and then bring it back to the store. Uh, but now all of a sudden I was in an office um, on in Soho and every places I would go and grab lunch uh, wouldn't give it to me. So it also requires some planning. So you need to make sure that you have a reusable coffee cup with you, that you... Um, you are a bit creative. So, for example, when I take my, uh, my breakfast at the coffee shop downstairs, I ask them to give me the pastry directly, either in my hand or in an handkerchief that I'm holding, but not to give me a paper um, or a bag. And also, I try to be mindful. A lot of coffee shop take a piece of paper to give you the pastry and then throw it away. So I try to look at who's wearing glove, and I'm like, you, you're wearing glove. Can you, <laughs> with your hand, give me this cookie and I'll, I'll just hold it and they're like you sure I'm like yes i'm doing this challenge and you have to be a little bit um fun about it and kind of make fun of yourself and, and say oh i'm i'm doing the zero waste challenge with my team and so you really need to help me to make it work and people are trying to help you and they smile and they're like oh that's pretty cool and then also i think the, the whole idea is by doing that they're gonna think about it and maybe you're gonna help inspire them to to do something uh, about it, which I think is is very exciting as well.
2: How many... So, how many vending machines do you have around New York City now? So, right now we
4: have four machines that are live. Uh, we're launching. So, we have the one in Fulton Subway Station. We have one in the Starrett Lehigh Building, which on the twenty sixth between eleven and the West Side Highway. So, those two are available to to the general public, and then we have two in uh, office buildings, uh, in banks. Um, and we are launching another bank in two weeks. We are in discussion with NYU to finalize. We're hoping to be in their library uh, very soon, so we're going to grow from four to eight machines within the next few weeks. That's exciting. Very, yes. It's it's very exciting. We're hoping to have 20 machines by mid of next year and a little bit over 50 uh, by the end of 2020. So it's, it's clearly... Um, You know, there's there's not a dull day at Fresh Bowl, but it's very exciting, especially from a kitchen operation logistics standpoint. There's so much things we need to think about that uh, I'm I'm challenged every day and, and I really love it.
2: So what is the pitch like when you pitch to companies to put the vending machine in place? What are the most common questions or initial responses people have? Are they excited by it? Does it matter that it's jars and environmental? Is it just a fun thing? We're seeing more... Vending machines and coffee robots and things like that come online in the U.S. Absolutely. I mean,
4: I uh, what's very interesting is uh, we have a very big competitor that's based in Chicago. It's called Farmers' Fridge, and they just arrived in New York City. Um, so, Farmers' Fridge. What what are their machines like? Um, well, they're very similar to ours, but they use plastic jars instead of glass. Plastic.
2: plastic, right? Evil. Uh, is it at least biodegradable corn plastic or something like that? Or is it just plastic? It's real plastic uh, <gasps>
4: that, you know, if Would it, it choke was... a baby
2: seal? <laughs>
4: <Exactly>. <laughs> if it was before... January 1st of this year, it could have gotten recycled, but now that China is no longer buying plastic, it's just going to landfill. But that's another discussion. So,
2: what's interesting is a lot of the. Wait, wait, that is another discussion, but before you just sort of stop off that, it is important to think about the change in logic and the change in policy that we're at now. Up until now, Recycling was really the thing. Recycle newspapers, recycle plastic, recycle your cardboard, recycle your glass, recycle everything. If you live in New York City and many other cities in, in the country, you have recycling days and different colored bags and you have to separate your garbage. But now recycling has sort of reached Stuff. its has sort of reached its maximum capacity in many ways. Yeah, it's it's what's very difficult
4: is One, people don't know how to recycle. So a dirty box of pizza cannot be recycled because the cardboard is sold and it's it's going to be discarded. Or a plastic bowl for a salad, if you don't wash it, is not going to be recycled. So there's a lot of misconception about what can be recycled, what cannot be recycled. But also every New Yorker think, well, I'm doing my recycling, so I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But that's not true. And the fact that they're keeping the recycling trash and people keep on thinking that, you know, oh, I'm putting it away and it's going somewhere and something is going to happen with it. And right now it's not happening anymore. So I, 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 I wish they just stopped doing it and they stopped pretending that everything was happening so that more people could realize, wait, there is a real problem. Nobody's recycling anymore. What are the other options? Oh, what if we started reusing? And that's what we're trying to educate people so around. So recycling
2: is last year. This year is reuse. Yes. Did you hear that, Matt? I did. We're, we're on to reuse now.
3: I mean, when I was young, we taught all three R's.
2: Well, what's the third R?
3: I cannot remember. What is it? Uh, reuse, reduce,
2: recycle. Oh, perhaps reduce. I mean, I thought of the other R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. (laughs) That was from when I was a child. (laughs) Now, would you eat a salad out of a vending machine in a glass jar? I mean, hell yeah. Okay. There you go. Yes. Survey says, hell yeah. I know. We need to put a machine in Brooklyn because... Because Brooklyn. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. On the street next to the... um, We have a vending machine around the corner from Roberta's Pizza, which is a cyclist vending machine.
4: No way! It has sort of like
2: little things for cyclists. You could put it next to that. I love it. And we could roll some Roberta pizza in it. Exactly. We'll figure something out. So what is the public reception, Ben?
4: People love it. People love it. So to go back to your initial question, how, how does this discussion go with the building? Um, well, in two locations, one was Starrett Lehigh and the other one was NYU, we were put in competition or they have heard of the other one and they were like, oh, wait, I was just pitched something similar a few weeks ago or just yesterday, I had a picture on my desk about a vending machine with fresh food, what makes it different? Um, and what's interesting is in both scenario, we got the location thanks to what we were doing because people really cared about the environment. So Star at Lehigh, for example, is doing a lot of things about becoming more sustainable. They have a co-working space for social innovation. Uh, They've been composting for a long time. They are growing some herbs and-
2: So uh, the difference
4: was in your packaging. Absolutely. The recycling in the jars, the reuse of the
2: jars versus the plastic.
4: Absolutely. And I've been working with them for a long time. We've been doing a lot of events with Encoli, so they really knew what we were doing and they were very excited. NYU was the same thing. It was so close to my store. I hired, half of my staff was from NYU, and they were like, listen, we love your passion. We love the fact you're from New York, and we love that you're doing so many things for the environment. We want to work with you. We don't want to have plastic because that doesn't, the story is not what we've been trying to promote with NYU Green and all those kind of things. So, and overall, that's what we see with a lot of the buildings that we're talking to. Um, Banks, for example, they're trying to Uh, bring something positive for their employee and employee feeling that the company that they work with care about things like the environment and care about their health and providing them food that are good for them and that is going to avoid throwing away a ton of plastic Um, is a good marketing tool right now and I'm fine getting in the door because I'm a marketing tool but then the user themselves we launched a new machine uh, this week every time they try the sample they get very excited and then when we tell them well see the salad that you see right now that's at $10 if you return your jar there's a $2 credit so you would keep on paying only $8 if you came back every single day they realize, well, wow, it's really cheap. So they are going to return initially because they are saving money. But then as they save money, they get excited and they start telling their friends, wait, I'm part of this community where I'm reusing jars and I'm returning them to the machine and it's really cool. I get texts every time I do. Uh, and then that's how we create a community that's passionate about what we do. And for me, that that was really the goal and the transition from one brick and mortar that had a small community to a big network of vending machines throughout the city is, is really what makes me happy.
2: Because there are thousands of people in the office buildings. Yes. Thousands of students at NYU and faculty and people. Absolutely. It's an exciting time. We always talk about how fun the vending machines are in Asia, especially in Tokyo, you know, all kinds of things. Out in San Francisco, they have the uh, Cafe X, which is the robotic arm that makes your coffee. There's a ramen vending machine I've seen. There's a burger machine. But nothing's really taken hold in terms of becoming something more than just sort of a novelty. Nothing has really taken hold like the traditional just sort of water and and chip candy vending machines that we've all seen, you know, in airports and on the street. What do you think the barrier is for you to become as ubiquitous as those types of machines? What's your barrier to really expanding and growing your numbers? What's your biggest challenge, do you think? Um, That's
4: a good question.
2: Uh, I think number
4: one is education, making sure, again, people understand what they're supposed to do with the glass jar. In an office building, it's very easy because people are on their floor. They could literally... Uh, When we had it at our WeWork office, I had people walking with their socks on the floor, getting the the food in the machine and then going back to their desk. So you don't even need to think about putting your coat, your umbrella and all those things when it's freezing, even putting shoes. Um, so, So that is something that is very easy. But in a subway station, that means that you need to carry it with you so people... Girls have bags, but, you know, guys don't necessarily ha- have a bag with them. So what are they going to do with this glass jar? So they do it, have backpacks now. Right. You're right. So that's And a changing. lot of people have tote bags. Absolutely. A gym bag. Yes. A dude would have a gym bag. So we're, we're starting on that. <laughs> um So I would say number one is education. And then two, the logistic of moving glass. It's heavy. It breaks. So we need to make sure that we're very careful about how we manipulate it. But for me, uh, you know, I, I keep on people keep on asking me why not doing reusable plastic rather than doing glass jar. Um, for me, the answer is very simple. I think the experience of eating out of glass is much nicer if you drink a, a Coke in a glass bottle compared to a can or compared to... Very different. You have the metallic right. taste. S- and so the experience feeling. is not the same. I feel that, again, going back to my French roots, the glass itself invites you to slow down and take your time compared to the compostable bowls where you think that it's going to start leaking all over your desk and if you don't shove your salad in your face in five minutes (laughs) uh, then you're going to have a problem whereas the jar you're like okay I can take my time it's it's
2: actually the experience is pretty nice um well and the glass jar is also an object from home life and jars and jam and things like that so it has a maybe nostalgic quality to it or maybe a more of an authentic quality of being a vessel with a purpose versus like a plastic compostable plastic, you know, bowl something what other. If it, it feels transient and disposable because that's what it's meant to be.
4: Right. I, I I think that exactly. That's that's how our grandparents used to used to eat. We're bringing back the the old way of of doing things and returning the milk bottles and and doing all those kind of things. But at the same time, people some people want to collect the jars and want to keep them and I keep on getting the jars that I had initially designed for my store is not the same, are not the same than the one we're using in the vending machine. Just a few minutes ago, someone reached out to me again and and in fact two people today, my cousin from France was like, You still have jars, can you ship some to me? I love them so <laughs> I much. I need those jars. Exactly. <laughs> and then another girl reached out on Instagram and was like, Can I still find your jars because they're really cool? So people like to use them and like to see them in their fridge and like to store things in it. And I think that's really important. And and I think that one of um the thing that got my attention is i used to live in soho across from the chobani store that was doing yogurts in glass uh, bowls and i was collecting those i i would go across the street buy it and and i still have i think 20 of their bowls that i use all the time i use for everything i use for yogurts when i'm at home like there's a lot of things i do with it and i love that experience and it's still branded chobani on it and smart s- Exactly. So very smart marketing. Uh, that's really the idea of we want to make sure people keep the jar and and see our name and and want
2: to either return it or come back. Well, I have an idea for you about those jars and the glass and the breaking and keeping them fresh. When you become a member of Heritage Radio Network, whether it's you know a small membership of you know twenty five or thirty dollars, we have some very very fancy memberships at you know one thousand dollars and five thousand dollars. They all come with a piece of swag or something special. And I don't know, Matt, maybe you know if they're still on offer, but we had Heritage Radio Black neoprene Sleeve Drink Koozies or Beer Koozies, which is a little neoprene sleeve that you would put your canned, bottled, glass beverage into to keep it cold if you were, say, at a picnic or at the Tiki Bar. Are those still available for members, Matt? Do you know I have a bunch of them. They're fantastic at the beach. But a branded neoprene sleeve like that, the koozie thing, would be reusable. People could put their jar into it. And when they put it into the bag, it wouldn't break or it wouldn't clank or it wouldn't clank. And it would also keep it cold a little bit. That would be great.
4: I'll I'll put your name on it.
2: Yeah, that would be fantastic. Well, you don't put my name on it. Maybe we just sponsor the show. You could take my uh, Fresh Bowl koozie royalties and just become a sponsor of tech bites. Sounds good. That would be fantastic. But that might be something worth looking into. Absolutely. It'd be a very cool thing. You could get a little handle on it. People could wear them. I oh I, that would be adorable. You I could have do like thoughts. a little um, like a musette for the cyclist. Musette is the sort of little muslin bag that goes over the shoulder that they hand to cyclists when they're going through the feed stations that they wear um, you know, like a messenger bag that has their their snacks and lunch to eat on it so you could do something like that where you could have a little strap that you could put on it i could carry it
4: i love the idea i back when it i would opened be very All french Cooley, i i looked at a lot of like there were some that were needed in mm-hmm. in wool that i really loved there were some in in denim that i thought were really cool but the cozy part is the I neoprene and about. the cozy yeah.
2: yeah to keep it temperature love and it. safe and a little and then insulated okay to be continued to be continued that's an excellent idea i'm excited about this maybe I can moonlight as marketing person at Fresh Bowls. Anyway, we are out of time. I want to thank Chloe for coming out on a Tuesday evening. If you want to find Fresh Bowl, go to freshbowl.com, find them online at getfreshbowl. My Fresh Bowl. My Fresh Bowl at My Fresh Bowl definitely worth a look and a try. It's really a lot of fun. And if you have a business and you want a machine in your office, um, get in touch with her. If you love Tech Bytes, come back and listen to the show live on Tuesday evenings at 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you miss the live broadcast, we are online at heritageradionetwork.org. We are also on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, We are powered by Simplecast. If you have a suggestion for a show, if you have a comment, if you are a founder of an amazing food tech company and want to come on, get in touch with us, you can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We are very interactive. We would love to hear from you. If you want to meet us in real life, come to our 10th anniversary gala on November 11th at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. And I think, that's, I think that's all. Did I miss anything, Matt?
3: <laughs> no, that was very thorough.
2: <laughs> very thorough. Maybe too thorough. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'm Jennifer Lietzi, and this is Tech Bytes.